Welcome to Unstoppable You with Christine Patton. Does it seem like something could be holding you and your business back from your dream of great success? Can you put your finger on what that is? In today's show, you'll learn the tools and patterns that will guide you toward the success that you dream of. Now, here is your host, Christine Patton. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Unstoppable You with me, Christine Patton. Here's where we talk about empowerment, resilience, easy for me to say, and passion, and how it all works to conquer the game of business, because you are your business. You are. I'm so glad you're here with me today. You're going to love my guest. She's Mary Tidland from Alberta, Canada. Mary is a powerhouse kind of woman, and I can't wait for you to get to know her. The depth and breadth of her resume is tremendous, and I think the best way to get to know Mary is to hear her tell us all the amazing things that she's accomplished in her life and continues to accomplish. But before I introduce Mary further, I'd like to remind you about the contest for you listeners. You need but listen to each episode and engage with me and my Facebook pages with an answer to the question of the day I've posed on the show to receive a free module of coaching from my most popular coaching programs, either the Empowerment Module or the resilience module. And this is two free months of coaching. The value is $1,500. So go to my website at powerwithin.ca and check out my elite performance plan. You can leave your comments on my Facebook page, Chris Patton. I'm looking forward to learning how you're learning and benefiting from these episodes to create a more unstoppable you. And please like me on Facebook while you're there. I'd love for you to be a guest on my show. If you have an interesting story involving empowerment, resilience, and passion, please contact me at chris at powerwithin.ca. I'd love to get to know you and see if we're a fit for the show. And if you'd like to become a sponsor for the show, I'd be overjoyed to connect with you. Now, last week, we all had the great pleasure of hearing from Layla Kamushian, immigration lawyer practicing in the Los Angeles area, and Yogi, because they go together. Well, they do. We had a fun conversation about using yoga and meditation to overcome the stress and burnout that's truly endemic with a law practice and other practices. Anybody who works, I think, these days, and that's about all of us, um, could use these techniques. Um, And what happens is we create a better life for ourselves and for everybody else who has to deal with us. So today we're blessed to have Mary here. Mary, 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 welcome. Thanks for being here with me today and agreeing to share your message with our listeners. Thank you. So let me read your bio first. Um, I like to do that to kind of bring everybody into who you are. Mary A. Tidland is an entrepreneur, philanthropist, and new author. Yoo-hoo. In 1990, Mary co-founded and was president and CEO of numerous corporations, including Williston Wildcatters Oil Corporation, a public oil and gas exploration and service company that pioneered horizontal drilling. In 1998, Mary transformed herself, moving from oil to philanthropy with the founding of the Mary A. Tidland Charitable Foundation. The global NGO worked in 29 countries for 19 years with over 90 programs focusing on empowering women and children to make lasting changes in health, education, and the alleviation of poverty. Currently, Mary is a board member of numerous public corporations and NGOs and is an inspiring public speaker on philanthropy, transitions, purposeful leadership, and the power of choice. Mary is a pilot and an avid skier and enjoys hiking, tennis, traveling, reading, riding horses, yoga, and meditation. You're my kind of girl, Mary. And she lives in the Canadian Rocky Mountains. It's heaven there, isn't it? 
It truly is. <laughs> and you're in Canmore, so you're really six hours away by car. You're really a neighbor. I am. <laughs> yeah, I've often called British Columbia God's country. And, and I swear, I grew up in Ontario. There's really no mountains. There's not too many mountains in Ontario. And I love being here. I just love, uh, we have different mountains from you, though. Our, I find our mountains here in Kelowna are, are lower and kind of more rounded. They have a, a, that, that, I don't know, it's like a gentle beauty. But you've got those craggy, imposing, towering mountains in the Rockies, don't you? We certainly do. They're great to ski on, for sure. <laughs> and look at. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Yeah. They yeah. bring me a lot of peace and joy. So our, liner, our listeners this morning are going to get a lot um, from this today. So let's get on with this. Mary, I'm fascinated, as you know, by how we're shaped by our early beginnings. Now, all influences shape us as the adults that we become. But I find your beginnings really interesting. Would you tell us about that? Okay, Chris. Well, I, I was um, given up for adoption as a baby, and my foster parents that got me were um, amazing. They looked after about 45 foster children as I grew up. So I grew up in a very diverse household, and I was the, um, in our family of five, uh, three of us were adopted, and I was basically the only brown child or black child in the family. Right. So my circumstances were unique. My neighborhood, Calgary at that time, was maybe 250,000 people. It was basically white. My school was um, there were definitely some diversity in the school and in our family, we had all kinds of kids coming through our household. So what it did was it gave me a basis to understand and have compassion for diversity and inclusion because my parents were very much of that. They believed that every, my mother believed that every child should have a family mm-hmm. and she of loved Yeah. And she, that's what she did. She loved babies and she looked after them as they got adopted. They just came through our house like a revolving door. So that's kind of the environment. That's quite a commitment. I can't even, having raised my own two, I can't imagine having, you know, other kids flowing through. That takes a special kind of, well, parents, mom and dad, right? Definitely. Absolutely. My dad was there 100% too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. so that started my philanthropy, that gave me philanthropy of the heart. I think I saw it as a kid from day one. That's right. how I was raised. Yes. Right. And I'm sure it colored how you've interacted with people your whole life. Did it make you more sensitive and open to the issues of the day? Definitely, I think. Um, it, and, and not to take them to, not to say seriously, but... My parents were very deep, they had a deep religion too, so they believed in love. So all of these things keep going on in our life and they do and his, historically they keep happening, but the family nucleus and the love that we have for each other is what grounds us through all of it. And the love for ourselves, right? Mm, most importantly. So that love for yourself um, and moreover you know you're I would think you would have had developed a more driven personality to do what you did in the oil and gas industry as a woman like holy tell tell me about that the beginnings of that you know when did you see who you really were as it as it came out in what you chose to do 
Um, I can't say as I was that aware at the time. I was I started as a landman in oil and gas after graduating with a science degree out of you know, University of Calgary, and okay. I was just I was driven. I had a lot of energy. I always have had, and I just. After being a landman, I did a whole journey of finding my birth parents and I came back and settled in as a consulting landman and had the opportunity to step step in with three other individuals, men, to start an oil company. And um, I was the president and CEO and we just took off from there. We were focused on uh, horizontal drilling, pioneering it with our own drilling rigs and we stepped out of the typical downtown core business and stepped out into a rural area and renovated a bunch of a number of historical buildings in Southeast Saskatchewan and made that our base. So we were unique in that way. And um, we just were head down and focused on what we were doing. And it was easy to do because we were so driven when four people all have the same goal and with very few distractions, you can really make some differences. And we grew the company quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Now describe Landman. I'm not familiar with that. Okay. A Landman is when an oil company, um, drills a well, there'll be a landman that negotiates the rights between the oil company, what they own, whether it's oil or gas, and who the partners are that are going to drill the well and how deep they're going to go. We tie up all of those details and we negotiate those details before a well is drilled. So that's what I did for a major Canadian company, Pan-Canadian Petroleum Limited. Mm -hmm. Okay. And is that sort of the expertise you then brought to your own company? Yes. Yes. The negotiations and and the networking, definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And you said that was Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan, the southeast corner of Saskatchewan. We were based okay. out of a small town called Arcola, where W. O. Mitchell filmed "Who Has Seen the Wind." <laughs> oh, right. Okay, right. that brings to mind something I'm familiar with. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm curious. Um, w- growing up, you know, the only brown person among white people. Did you have experiences of racial discrimination or any breadth breath of anything across your, your life circumstances? Um, definitely had breaths of it, without a doubt. Um, as a kid, I don't remember that as being a big part of my life because we were just an active household and there was so much diversity. I don't remember that at school. I think the most I remembered it, uh, when I got into high school, there was maybe out of a thousand or 2000 kids, there was maybe five of us that were not white. Uh, But we weren't, I think I was more of a novelty than I was anything else. So I don't remember having issues with kids at school. Where I saw most of it mainly was when I came out in oil and gas. And I don't know if it was so much that I was brown or that I was a woman or both of those together were, I think, more the issue than either one on its own. And yeah, and you get used to it. You get used. And I, my mother, I was raised in a household where if people are going to see your differences, don't spend a lot of time worrying about them because just be who you are. That was my mother's philosophy. And that's what I took on. So if people had issues with who I was, that was their issue and not mine. And luckily, I was able to carry that through um, in business and it wasn't an issue with my partners in business so we we just kept moving ahead and I don't think that that was a stumbling block for me or I didn't let it become a stumbling block for me yeah 
You know, what's interesting to think about is when people who tend to have naturally more confidence in themselves, mm-hmm. um, and I can call to mind many, um, and, and I think I grew up with a little more confidence than some of my friends or, or other people. Do you think it's true to say that you tend to skate a little more over that stuff? You're not triggered as much by it for whatever reason, or maybe you don't see it. I don't know. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that a good example is my mom always used to say, well, if someone says something that Mary just think that they're having a bad day. You know what? We all have bad days. So don't judge them where they're coming from. Just let them go. Don't worry about it. And just think that they're not, they don't, because I used to have people say to me, well, that can't be your mother. And I would never know what they were talking about, right? They just looking visually that I'm not the right color to fit in the family. So, you know, I would think, well, something's wrong with you. It's not me, right? Yeah, and that that helped me. But my mother, you know, her instilling that confidence and the love and the compassion and helping me understand other people helped me for the rest of my life, for sure. Absolutely. That's beautiful. If we all could have had your mom, hey? Oh, she was amazing. (laughs) She was a force to be dealt with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, are either your adoptive parents still alive? No, they both passed on. Yeah, mm. unfortunately. But yeah, they lived sad. to be in there. My dad was almost 90 and my mother was 95. So they had nice long lives for sure. And yeah, and they lived my- good lives. <laughs> they certainly did. Yeah. For a long time. That's amazing. Now, I remember from a discussion we had a long time ago. Well, not that long. I haven't known you that long. But um, you had some experience in the States, did you, uh, with respect to oil and gas? Uh, no, we no, 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 we didn't. No, most of our drilling activity was all in Canada. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so do you have any stories about, you know, besides your partners working with you beautifully, were there other experiences that you had? I, I mean, typically oil and gas, from my experience, is, was really male dominated. Definitely. Um, and, you know, you've mentioned that if there was any discrimination, it was because you were a woman and, and you know, and the wrong color or whatever. But were, were there things that happened that were really obvious? Um, and and mine, when was this? What years were these? So this was probably from 1990 or 1989 through 95, 90. So early 90s for sure. So there wasn't a lot of women in the oil and gas or in the leadership roles anyways when, when I was in that position I think the thing that stuck out the most to me was a lot of the service companies would offer you know fishing trips and all these different things for the guys to go but I was never invited Um, and I was the president of the company and I mean it's okay we didn't really like that kind of uh, invitation we would rather have a discount on our costs anyways but I always thought that very intriguing that I was kind of just ignored (laughs) and that's a very systemic insidious thing isn't it Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I threw out a few suggestions that if there was any heli skiing or something, I would be very interested, but that never came to pass. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. You would have loved that. I know you I would have. <laughs> um, so your, you know, the, the, the reason I asked the, the years is it kind of gives context to what's going on with people emotionally, mm-hmm. with discrimination and that kind of thing. You know, describe the emotional climate 
around the time you were carrying on your business from 1990 to 1998, I think I understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Or actually to 1995. The emotional climate was, it was pretty good through that. It was was struggling. I mean, oil was not even $25 a barrel. I mean, we saw it go Mm -hmm. up to a hundred since then. Mm -hmm. So, um, and everyone was into this new technology called horizontal drilling and everyone was exploring that. We were kind of leading that, but they, the emotions were oil and gas is a bit of a roller coaster. You can make millions and you can lose millions fast. Right. And I would say that the emotions were just rolling along with that as normal. It's definitely changed now, but that at that point in time, that's how the industry went. It was either boom or bust. And uh, we were coasting through one of those stages and then we landed in the bus stage, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, what happened? We have a couple of minutes before we have to go to break. What happened quickly there? Can you tell us? Um, well, we had built, yeah, just that we had built, because we were a diverse company, we had drilling rigs and the oil prices were low. We had about 250 employees, very diverse from drilling hands to engineers and geologists and the financial people. And we got left with a lot of capital equipment and no mm. no way to to move it. So we, and so we ended up going into bankruptcy, which is a very painful thing to do um, in a small community for anyone. And uh, that was sort of the end of my oil career. I had decided at that point that I would probably change and see how I could realign my values with what I wanted to do in the world. And it was a great experience. It gave me skills I would never otherwise have. Sometimes I call it my MBA of hard knocks, um, yeah. but it was it was rich for living in a small community and learning how a small community works. And we met some we had some amazing employees and partners and partnerships, and it was really rich that way. It's just it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, and you know what a great attitude to have. And again, I've said this many times. I remember Dr. Wayne Dyer once said, "Do you believe in a uh, a friendly or a hostile world?" And I think that's the basis for a lot of things. You know, when you believe in a friendly world, you start to look at, okay, this was meant to be, this was going to happen. It is what it is. You know, I'm probably not going to change it. So now what do I do? And so it's taking the lessons from that, right? And then moving forward, that's the empowering, the, the empowering change. That's where the resilience comes in. It sounds like you grasped that beautifully. Well, it was a struggle. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, no, no question. Yeah. And yeah. how long How long uh, did you go through that? I'd say probably a year to a year and a half before I actually put, you know, a new, I had a number of other businesses besides the oil company in Saskatchewan. So once I wrapped those up, it took me probably a year and a half before I, you know, went through the healing and trekked around the world and then finally decided I was going to create an NGO. And I really didn't know anything about charities, but I knew that I wanted to attach my pocketbook to my heart and I mm. wanted to do something in some of the communities that I trekked in and seen around the world I knew I had too many skills just to be traveling and viewing rather than not participating somehow so but, but it, it took it took a year year and a half before I had the courage again and the the I got my self-confidence back to put together something new and know I could move forward again That's beautiful. That's beautiful, Mary. So we're going to go for a commercial break. Don't leave. Mary Tidlin is going to tell us all about how she moved into the charitable foundation work. Don't go away.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're tuned into Unstoppable You. To reach Christine Patton or her guest on the show today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email during the week to Chris at powerwithin.ca. Now, back to Unstoppable You. Hello, and we're back. Mary, I love before the break what you said. You added heart to the pocketbook. Oh, my God. That was just one of those quotes that we just talked about being one of those zing things that just affected me. So let's begin this next segment by talking about how did you align with your values? Because after something like that happens, I mean, I know I've been through this myself. You feel scrambled, right? It's like you have to pick up all the pieces of you and put it back in the pie. settled in some way that looks like something feasible, right? So tell me about that. Um, I think it's really important to take a look at for everyone to see what skills they have and to be able to transfer those into something new. So what I did is I not only looked at my values, which were respect and caring and sharing and being able to give what I had as skills to see if I could empower other people. Those were my values, but I also looked at what I like to do. So I like to travel. I love traveling globally. So the, I, look, I looked at community development. I loved how we were able to get involved in the community in Southeast Saskatchewan and make all these other businesses and Perfect. empower kids and women. I looked at, I had done a lot of legal contracts and negotiations in oil and gas, so how could I take that forward? And then how can I deliver respectability from who I am to other people? And then how can I embrace and transform others? So by taking that little picture, And also, of course, I was able to raise millions of dollars for our oil company, so I knew I could raise millions of charitable dollars. So I took that package and knew that if I started a charity, I could apply all of those from negotiating with other partners around the world, people that had different cultures, that were different genders, that had totally different um, norms. I would be able to try and weave my way through that with respect and try and see, and listening was another huge thing that I learned that I had That's to a listen. That's a gift. Yeah, deeply listen to people. What do they want? Where are they coming from? Rather than what I thought they needed, which is a 
yeah, I learned a lot about that in philanthropy. <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. That's that sensitivity yeah. is we, we take that egocentrism, many of us who want to help, who deeply want to help and our hearts are in the right places, but we forget that not everyone's like us. They don't, they look out of different eyes and they see life differently because they've been made differently. You know, going back to this, how did mm-hmm. we develop in our childhood and, and all the influences in our lives? And we forget that people's lives around the world are very, very, very different from ours. And so their needs are different. They're wants are different what they're comfortable is comfortable with is different their norms their morals their values mm-hmm. uh, well i think i think values is is a is a shared thing but yeah that's maybe my own naivete i don't know um but you that just speaks to my heart mary just the way you describe that is beautiful yeah and the other thing is that we are all the same we all need to be loved we need friendships we need family we need to be fed we need shelter it's just how the different layers that are put on top of that that makes everything look a little different no matter where you are in the world yeah it's true you know i I often hearken back to maslow's um hierarchy of needs now i'm a psychology major that's my first degree um and but it's true and I was a member of Rotary for three years and it's a very beautiful, giving, loving, charitable um, organization. What I realized was unless people's bottom layer of needs are met, and that is for safety and security, to be fed, to be warm, clothed and sheltered, you can't realize anything above that because you're always in scarcity mode, you're desperate, you're um, in survival and survival does not equal thriving, striving right. or thriving. You can't even mm-hmm. begin, right? And I'm sure you mm-hmm. saw a lot of that. I did see a lot of it, absolutely. <laughs> so what was your yeah. first, how did you dip your toe into this well of charitable uh, giving? Um, where did you go first? I first, first I put the board together that with people of the same values and, you know, they became lifelong friends, most of them. And, you know, we had we had common goals. We were funded. We went we our first program because I didn't know anything about charities. I had learned from some other friends of mine, some charities they had. We went to India with Operation Eyesight and we funded some uh-huh. cataract operations in a very Excellent. remote community in, in northern India. And I yes. knew from that how well the amazing medical care they already had there. And then we really Okay. Oh yeah, they were they were phenomenal. The the ophthalmologists and the optometrists that they had. So we then turned around and came home, and I convinced a friend of mine that's a physician to we could do these medical trips in the in the Amazon in South America. So that's wow. how we started was with wow. a lot of programs in the Amazon. Yeah, and wow. Phenomenal volunteers from across Canada, and and some of them came from the U.S. too, but medical teams and optometrists, dentists, you name it, they would come with us, and they would pay their own way, and it was that they they took their time off work, but they would we would conduct these medical teams with communities around the world. It's phenomenal. That's how we started. Yeah. Yeah. So providing medical services, healing mm-hmm. services primarily. Okay, and you went yeah. every time. Did you? Yes, yes. I usually had. To, I usually went and scoped and set up all the the groundwork so that our partners were ready for us and we were all speaking the same language. And then I would go, yeah. And then in the time we had, to, we got some logistics coordinators, Nicole, a, a nurse that helped tremendously take a lot off my plate. But yeah, I started that initially. 
I don't know if it was from watching a lot of MASH when I was a kid or not. But <laughs> That's we, one of my favorite shows. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah. I would watch it again. Yeah. I wish it yeah. would come back. So yeah. typically, how long were you in another country doing this work? Weeks, months? Would, yeah, usually weeks to a month because we're talking people taking their time off to right. have, as volunteers. So we or we would revolve out teams too so yeah and sometimes i'd be gone for a couple of months traveling between countries checking on other programs we started funding a lot of other programs that had nothing to do with medical care um, from water um, building concrete water filters which i learned from cost in calgary to um, microfinance programs in angola to orphanages you name it we were doing it as long as the partnerships their values aligned with ours and they were respecting the people that were recipients of the programs we would align with them and fund them so yeah it was great excellent that just sounds so exciting to me i bet you it was exhausting after a while all of that travel because it is and you're between time zones and and people's needs and people looking to you for answers and and all of that but still so exciting mary that just lights my fire listening to that yeah well i had some amazing volunteers and donors it wasn't just me i had a lot of people behind me supporting and participating so yeah it was very very exciting for sure and to see the impact Yes. But, you know, number one, people are going to follow a shining light. They believed in you and they wanted to, to help you and show up for you. So well done for that. Mm. And, and so tell us your best, you know, you just mentioned about the results that you got. That would just, gosh, you must still float along on that. You know, that happiness that you created, the peace, the wellness for people. Tell us your best experiences I just love, I could probably, we could probably do the show for five hours, but, um, you know, your, your top three maybe for now and, okay. and we'll see how long that takes us. Okay. Well, I'll try and be brief. There was, uh, I would say for leadership in, uh, in the Andean communities, we did uh, quite a few number of programs with different organizations that were all about women and children and in remote areas and we would watch women whether through medical teams or through seeding agriculture programs that we funded we would watch them come in they were illiterate and they wouldn't know how to do anything they were incredibly shy Mm -hmm. and over a period of probably five years we would watch these women go into leadership roles with other women so they yeah they were just like happy yeah, they were sponges, they soaked the knowledge up and they they stepped into their own confidence and shared it with others. And yeah, that's that's what brings the joy is being able to watch oh, yeah. that impact. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I heard I heard a while ago, and I, and I want to hear more about these, but um, you know, the way to empower villages and communities is to empower the women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we found that, to that over and over. Mainly in uh, in Angola, we were there just in 2000 after the 27-year civil mm, war was over. Yeah. A couple months later, and we went in and we started, wow. help, we helped fund a couple of programs, but one of them was a microfinance program. And most of it was, majority was women and children because most of the men had been part of the war and were gone or right. in the next war. So I watched these women collectively learn to trust each other and save funds. And I mean, most of them couldn't read their own savings account book. So they had to trust 
other women that their savings were going up. They had to learn the numbers. They had to learn the investment. And that was, again, very satisfying. And that grew into like tens of millions of dollars over time. When we started, we helped this one organization development workshop start with that. We maybe gave them $160,000 to get it off the ground. And they, they had already started, but it was phenomenal to watch the growth of that. And just when a country has been at war, how they're looking for opportunities and how eager they were. And these women just picked it up and ran with it. It was just, it was, yeah, it, I still get, uh, it just fills me up thinking about it. Yeah. I bet you. I'm thrilled just sitting here listening. Um, you, you know, to go from, I can imagine, I've never experienced that in my life, is to go from utter devastation and terror to be, to learn how to rely on your own inner resources and to create a trusting network of other people, women or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about a healing, right? Mm-hmm. That would take yeah. place. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and then with the children watching this. Yes, exactly, because they're the next generation coming up and being women being able to put them into school and provide their school fees and then buy a house for themselves. It was just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Did you ever experience um, in your, you know, your experience, your travels, um, conflict? in the places you went where people did not want what you brought. They, they didn't want you to empower people, women or otherwise. Um, no, I can't say as Good. we did. We, mainly because we had done all of, a lot of homework before we ever got there. We didn't just ah. land in a country. We had done, you know, months and months, sometimes years study. of yeah. study yeah. and working in partnerships before we ever showed up or before the funding started. So there was a lot of work that went into gear first. Yeah. So it was, and that's, that took away a lot of, you know, a lot of people would say, aren't you afraid taking these volunteers into these countries that are war torn or that are so desperate, that's how they viewed it or impoverished. But when you're brought in with another organization that's respected in the country, it's, you're it very respected. Way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's your, it's our best insurance actually, because people, when you're with an organization that respect it, they respect you and make things every, make it, they help make everything flow much easier. And that's brilliant. I mean, that's just a good way to do business, right? Yeah, absolutely. It t- just totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, did you, did you work with men um, in, in these other countries? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Some of the doctors we met with, of course, were men because that's traditionally uh, their field. And, you know, it would take some time sometimes for them to get used to the fact that, first of all, that most of our doctors were women that we brought were women teams and uh, to adjust to that and and giving them the power. And yeah, there's always shifts going on there. But eventually they would all come around but a lot of times there were some ground rules that had to be set set and understood about we were bringing a team but we were we were from a different culture but we were respecting everyone if you can get it to respect then everything shifted but that was usually key from the (laughs) get-go absolutely and that makes sense for any corporation any office setting any team exactly. a team's a team you know an organization's an organization once you set those ground rules and this is how this is going to work no questions asked here are the ground rules here we're going to we're going to respect and love and support one another or this doesn't work doesn't it just make sense to do everything that way you know 
Yeah, it does. But there's often some pushback because people have oh, other sure. agendas or they're not used to that. They don't, they're not right. comfortable with it. They don't believe in it. But um, usually when you get it going, it works just fine. <laughs> yeah, when people can experience the harmony and how well things flow together better on parallel lines than, than smashing oh, yeah. headfirst into somebody's ideology or, yeah, like you said, agenda. But again, there's that, there's that egocentricity is forgetting that culturally other mm-hmm. areas feel differently about things. And it's, mm. it's just, it's massaging that it's not, you know, it's that resistance thing, right? It's, it's more, okay, now we got to work with this and, and how do, how do I bring someone around? I'm sure you did that. Absolutely. For instance, a man that has seven wives and they're coming into the clinic for, you know, some STI work, we have to honor and respect that that is the way that the culture is and how do we work with that. And we always found ways and it was always done respectfully and so that everyone walked away a little in their own world. And we knew that we had worked together to solve a problem that whatever they came in with. So yeah, you have to get over yourselves. Yeah. I found a lot of times we had to leave our own belief systems at home, except for our values and step into cultures that we were not familiar with and accept the way we had to, otherwise we would never have done what we did for sure. Right. Absolutely. Now, just a quick question before we go on another break. Um, what do you think happened with people's vision of the world after you left? You know, like a, the, the legacy that you left. Did, did you ever find out, go back, talk to anybody about how maybe things changed in those areas? Yeah, we saw a lot of the change. So some of the, some of the changes we saw were um, kids were attending school longer. There was meal programs put into the ki- school so that kids could have the malnutrition rates would go down. We saw men stepping up and helping more in families than they used to. We saw women taking on more healthy, um, more ownership of their own health in a more compassionate way of themselves and of their, mm-hmm. their, na- their communities. Important. So definitely we saw the changes in it. So, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the yummy stuff of the work that we did is to, to see the impact and, and how it's changed or how it evolved. You know, it, it always changes, but the seeds that were planted when we worked with people, for sure. Beautiful. Um, and that's that legacy piece that we all can ask ourselves, you know, what do we want to leave behind? Yeah. What do we want people to say about us at our, our funeral or celebration of life, which is poignant for you today, I know. Um, how do we want people to talk about us when we leave the room or leave life, right? That's really, really, really important. Um, and, and I love that you've left your imprint all around the world. So we're going to go uh, shortly to another commercial break. Uh, right now, for those listening, we're talking to Mary Tidland, and she's addressing in this section her philanthropy and her gorgeous experience around the world bringing love and light to people. We'll be back in a second. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're tuned into Unstoppable You. To reach Christine Patton or her guest on the show today, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email during the week to Chris at powerwithin.ca. Now, back to Unstoppable You. Hello, we're back. For those of you who are just tuning in, we're talking to Mary Tidland from Alberta, Canada, about her experience being in the oil and gas industry in the, well, roughly the 90s. And um, the last segment was about the beautiful experiences that she's had around the world and the legacy, the beautiful, loving, supportive legacy that she's left. Mary, you're just lighting me up. Tell me about what's going on for you back at home now. Or what happened? Actually, let's let's do that. What happened with the philanthropy uh, okay. quest? Um, well, in about 2010, I took a course at the Cody Institute in, in Nova Scotia about sustainable international development. And I got a whole new di- different perspective on philanthropy and charitable work because I was going to school with development workers from all over the world. And I was ah. one of the few Canadians. And so after that, we deepened a lot of our work. And as time went on, I knew that we had, after 20 years, it was time to either find someone to the success piece came in and we were not able to fulfill that in a way that worked so we dissolved the foundation in 2017 so in the meantime I had started on a number of boards Um, I realized that probably another way of impacting was to sit and do board governance so I I joined Women Moving Millions out of New York, and I was on the board there. And that's an organization where we've raised over $800 million now with 340 million. Is that all? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing because it's Holy. mostly women and it's 340 members. And wow. it, the, com- the commitment is to give a million dollars to women and children or women and girls anywhere in the world. Beautiful. So that was a board. And then Tostan, which is a board out of Senegal and, and Dakar that we actually work with a medical team. And Molly Melching is doing some amazing work at changing communities and with advocacy. Excellent. And then I, I joined two public boards um, in out of Dallas, Valhai and Compex. And so right now I'm doing some board governance work. I would say that that's taking up a lot of my time. And of course, the book took up a lot of time to get it to the stage where it's actually Yay! out there. <laughs> Tell us about the book. Okay. The book is called... Um, Memoirs of a Wildcat, Unadoptable, which is what I was labeled initially, oh. Unstoppable, and Unconditional Love. Perfect. So that's the subtitle, and uh, it's it's only, we released it in October, so a few weeks ago, and uh, it's doing very well in sales, and it's, it's something to really step into when you write a memoir, but I'm getting there. Congratulations. <laughs> the, yeah, thank you. How, how did that come about, that book? Uh, I knew a long time ago I wanted to write. So back in 2010, I did start writing, and but I was too busy. And just in the last two years, have been able to get an editor to work with, Zoe Duncan, and we've just been able to dig in. And then I found some other friends that are authors, and they helped me see that I needed some work pulling some stories out. So we did a little ghostwriting, and nice. you know, it is where it is today. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. Thank Congratulations. You. And I told Thank you, you. I, I'm, I'm, re- I'm getting your book today and I'm going to start reading it. Oh. Um, yeah, it's always, um, it's always quite exciting to, to be able to, I mean, anytime you do something like that, you put yourself into a project and you offer it to the world, you know, you stand waiting like, oh my God, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? But you know, when I wrote my book, I said to myself, I don't care. I'm doing this for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I had a, I wrote my book to help students do the inner mental and emotional conditioning to create more beautiful careers that, you know, you don't wake up on Sunday and feel sick about going to work on Monday. Um, and then one day I, I, I read a statistic that 50,000 books a day or something are published in North America. And I went, why would anybody want to read my book? And I just decided I don't care. I loved writing it. I loved pouring myself and what I knew and thought, even if I change one life, well, you know what, then that's worth it mm-hmm. for me. Did you feel the same? Yeah, yeah. It's about inspiring people to connect and believe in each other and, you know, to build your confidence within yourself and take risks and be courageous and believe in yourself and not what other people are telling you and all of those things. And when people give you feedback that they can connect with that, you know that I know that my job is done. It was worth writing the book. I've inspired someone to make some change that's positive in their life. Beautiful. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and tell us your success. You were telling me before we uh, started today. You've sold how many books in, in three weeks or something? <laughs> yeah, we've gone through our first 500. So we're <laughs> into, we, we were doing another print for Christmas. So if anyone wants a book, they're available on my website, marytidlund.com. Mary and it's T-I-D-L-U-N-D.com. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you for letting us know. So um, the, um, you know, memoirs in your book, you're talking about, um, just to give our readers a better idea of what your book's about. 
like your experience and then what you've learned from those experiences? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And how okay. those apply. And yeah, a lot of things that I learned that I didn't see before. And I think that I thought it was important to share those. And if people are interested, they're in my book. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, it's a good read for them. So with respect to empowerment, resilience, and passion, what are you noticing about those issues with others with whom you've crossed paths? Any notable stories there? Um, I definitely see um, empowerment uh, because I, I sort of stepped into philanthropy and women and children. I've definitely seen empowerment in business in particular with women. Um, with She Innovates in Alberta, I see women stepping into innovative roles. Women definitely have been hit the hardest with COVID currently, I think. Um, Okay. Because they have lost their jobs. Yeah, small businesses lose their job. They need to feed their kids. They need to put their kids in school. They end up teaching their kids at home. It's a lot of pressure for women right now. But I, I also see that a lot of women are being, women are innovative. They're creative. So when they have to survive, they will find ways to survive. And I've seen a lot of women step step into some leadership roles in very creative ways in creating new businesses and innovation, innovative ways of working within their environments. If they're in companies with work still, they're thinking of innovative ways to make that their businesses work in a new way. And I and I mean everyone is, but what I yes. see because I'm focusing on it is how right. women are making those changes. And it's very rewarding to to watch and to see because to me, there's you can either resist change, and I think that COVID has made us take a look at we can either stay with what we had or we can move forward. And I think a lot of the consensus now is we're going to be moving forward differently. And mm-hmm. so the sooner we can change and be able to move and adapt with change, the more the easier our lives will be for those that are around us and for ourselves. So, uh, and I see a lot of women leading in that. And it's, uh, and I think women are stepping into more leadership roles in general today than they were 25 years ago. And, sure. uh, and the feminine, not just women stepping into leadership, but there's a lot more men that have dropped being um, not masculine, but so masculine and are now thinking a little bit more compassionately and more collaboratively than they, they, that they had before. And it's not so competitive. So we're watching, I think, women become more, a little more masculine and men becoming more feminine to make all of these changes that we need to move forward. That's beautiful. I mean, they talk. We talk about going into the age of miracles, and it, it's it's mm-hmm. the balance of the masculine and feminine energies. This is not male and female. This is the energies mm-hmm. that all of us have. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a perfect balance that's being struck. Um, so resilience. Talk to me about resilience. With um, <laughs> you know, what have you noticed in the world today? Is is that a word that's people are embracing, you know, is, is, are we just tossing the word around or are we really getting down and dirty? I think people are being resilient because I, I'm watching um, when you adapt to change, you are being resilient. You are hanging in there. You're taking a look at how you can change your life and you're becoming resilient to move forward with the change. I had to do it all my life, right? <laughs> I continually made changes and I was resilient. You have to find the strength within yourself to be resilient. 
And I think that that is what has, that's what we're forced to do right now is you have to go within, find out who you are, what, what are your priorities, what are your values, and then surround yourself with people like that, not to exclude anyone, but know that that's going to be your nucleus. That's your strength. Forward. Yeah. That is your strength for sure. Absolutely. And that's what I call resilience. And people are making those changes to, and, yeah, and it, and the people that are resisting it are really getting stuck. I see this, and there's lots more addictions, and there's abuse, and all these all these different not so supportive behaviors that are people are falling into because um, of not wanting to change. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's funny. Albert Einstein once said, "You know, something like this will never solve the world's problems at the same level mm-hmm. that created them." level of thinking that created them. So you're right. We have to step outside of the box. So talk to me a little bit about passion. How does, how did passion emerge from all of this for you? Um, I think passion and joy are, they walk hand in hand because Mm -hmm. when you have passion in your life, you are joyful. And I think it's pretty simple. All you need to do is follow what brings you joy and the passion comes with it. Right. And so if and it, it's just, it's not a hard process to sit down and think about in your life, what has brought you joy and why you don't have more of it in your life. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you making the choices that are bringing joy, which will, will build the passion. And then you're usually off in another, I've done it three times in my life as I've changed so I. careers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. So it's, it's about following that passion, but also what is the joy? That's the key. And yeah, and it's it's really a heart brain inquiry, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, definitely. following your and as I've said many times before, we have neurons in the ganglia of our mm-hmm. heart and in our upper gut. So we actually think with our body, our yes. heart and our gut. Um and so it really is a matter of listening to that as well as applying the executive the superior executive functions that we have to use our brain to analyze then how do we do this? That's what I think the inquiry is, is what do you love to do? What lights you up? What lights your fire? What's needed? How can I serve the world? And then your mind gets into the logistics. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I would say so. And always to be careful that it's not someone else's passion that you're getting pulled into, Mm. that it really is your own authentic passion and joy. Yeah. Big one. Yeah. Big one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you and I talked about the question of the day that we could leave with our listeners. What do you think? So I would say something like, what really does bring you joy and how are you living it? And how are you benefiting others from the joy that you want to create? That is beautiful. As I live, yeah, that's a good one to leave people with. As I live my life every day, I'm becoming more aware that um, serving humanity, you know, being an instrument of God, if that's, if that's your thing, um, but the, the creator, you know, your source, um, following the path that has been laid for you, um, and to do it with love and kindness and compassion and care is the inquiry, is the inquiry. And, and that's, that's where you, you'll get your answers. That's where you get quiet and you can listen to your intuition. Mary, I'm just so delighted that of our conversation today. Um, I'm really inspired right now to lean into my dreams and to light myself up with I believe is true and the right thing to do every day. Thank you, Mary, for inspiring all of us today with your message of empowerment, resilience, and passion. Onward and upward 
bless you for the light that you are for all of us. And I wish you the very best with your new book, Memoirs of a Wildcat, Unadoptable, Unstoppable, Unconditional Love. Thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for the opportunity, Christine. Of course. So please join me next week for more Unstoppable You, where we share messages of empowerment, resilience, and passion to conquer the game of business. Next week, I'm excited for you to meet Brooks Van Norman, a local entrepreneur here in Kelowna with an exceptional track record in business. He has a beautiful message for us on how to turn your kindness into an or, or how to turn your business into an act of kindness. If you're looking to pivot or need help with your business, offering employment or unemployment, you don't want to miss this one. And reminder to engage with me in my Facebook page, Chris Patton, with your answer to the question of the day. Check out my website for the contest at at powerwithin.ca. Like me on Facebook and follow me if you have a burning question about anything talked about today. So see you next week. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to Unstoppable You. Please join Christine Patton for another edition of the program next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, take what inspired you today, practice it, and watch how life unfolds for you on your path to success. We'll talk again next week. 